episode Max Lejoie of the Cosper Pointcast. I'm your host, Colin Cudmore, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Trevor Shackles. For those listening around the time of this release, it's December of 2019, meaning the decade is coming to a close. It's pretty wild to think about how much has happened the last decade for The Sense, and even just personally. So we've decided to make this episode a reflective one, looking at the good, the bad, for The Sense this past decade. But before we dive into that, there's one story I really wanted to talk about first from this past week uh, involving Mark Borowiecki. Uh, Trevor, can you just give us the rundown on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm sure that everybody's heard the story by this point, but I think it's it's weird to not touch on it. And yeah, Mark Borowiecki, just his likability over the past year has just skyrocketed, honestly. Um, he So there, there was a man who was breaking into this car in Gastown, which is, you know, half an hour from, from where I live in Vancouver. And, you know, apparently he like punched the window and Borowiecki, uh, you know, the, the guy was coming by on his bike and Borvieski just knocked him out, knocked him off the bike. Um, it, it was funny. He was saying that he he didn't want to, like, he didn't know the legal ramifications, so he didn't take him out super hardly, just because he didn't want to hurt the guy. But you know, he stopped uh, stopped the thief, got this backpack returned. And the funniest part is that the the girl who uh, whose backpack it was, she actually is a Leafs fan, so it's a kind of an ironic story. But yeah, honestly, it's um. That was probably like the weirdest tweet ever to see from Gary Ock saying that he stopped a robbery. It was just like, wait, what? What is what is going on? So, um, yeah, there was definitely there's some love uh, towards Boro there, and I wasn't even gonna, um, I, I I wasn't gonna bring anything to the game on uh, Tuesday when when uh, I saw the saw Ottawa play the Canucks, but I thought I should show some, uh, Borowiecki some some love. So. I brought a sign that says uh, "Living up to the name Borokop," um, and you know he he really liked that. He was uh, he was kind of laughing as he was skating by. So he came over and uh, gave a few pucks. Made sure it got to uh, some kids around me, and then he he was nice enough. I think he brought like four pucks because he came over. Uh, and then um, if you look at Ottawa's Instagram account, you can actually see a video because yep. um, he's mic'd up. And uh, you can see him saying, you can't see me in the video, but you can see him saying something like, I'll get, I'll get you one more. Um, you know, that, that's because of the sign. I don't get many, many signs, uh, signs for me. So <laughs> he clearly loved the sign. Yeah. It was, it was a pretty cool gesture that he did. And uh, yeah, honestly, like it's just my, my appreciation for him has gone up a lot just because of how good of a person he seems to be. Oh, a hundred percent. And everyone I've talked to who, who's, spoken to Boroport or knows him personally has, has, has had a very similar sentiment. I mean, he's just the ultimate mm-hmm. team leader at this point. I mean, if, if he wasn't depending UFA this summer, then like I'd make him captain in a heartbeat, honestly. I mean... Really? <laughs> uh, honestly, yeah. He, he's he's really that much of a team leader and really show... And like he just seems like a perfect role model for hockey players, not even just on the Sens, but around the league. He He's a strong supporter of LGBTQ+, right? Uh, and the, the general community, uh, he speaks out against toxic masculinity. Um, I mean, we've seen a lot this past week about the toxicity of hockey culture in general, and I feel like Borowiecki is someone who is really fighting against that. Um, and so, uh, yeah, and, and not only that, but he, he's really changed his game too, right? I mean, he used to be yeah. getting in a fight every five games or even less, and now he's on, even this season, I was just looking earlier, he's on the lowest penalty minute pace of his career which I think is incredible, like, the transformation that he's done. And not only that, but he's also, like, a pretty good, def- like, a, de- a decent defensive player, too. I wouldn't put him in the top four or anything, but, I mean, 
Yeah, like decent on the third pairing. Yeah, but for sure. I mean, he it, and on top of all this, he's from Ottawa too, and just loves the city so much. So it seems like a slam dunk that he'll be re-signed at this point. And um, I don't know what the Sens' plans are if they for the captaincy in the future. But I mean, if if Wojciechowski is going to be back for uh, a couple more years, a couple more years after this, I mean, I'd uh, I'd I'd be pretty happy to see him uh, with a captaincy. Which is weird. To th- wild That's to think. wild. Just just going back to like yeah. imagine. I mean, me and you have probably had similar feelings towards him um, over the course of his career. Just imagine a couple of years ago, you saying that. <laughs> you could go back into podcast episodes before where we've probably said some uh, less than nice things about Borowiecki's play. Oh yeah, so. yeah. And uh, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I think that he probably won't get the captaincy. But if you're gonna resign one veteran free agent like um you know i guess someone who is sort of in that 28 29 range um i i would definitely have it be him just because i think he does bring a lot of value off the ice so um yeah it's just how how times have changed is pretty interesting for sure and speaking of left shot defenseman there's one small other news item we want to touch on today before we get into uh, uh the decade in review uh, but Eric Brandstrom, just earlier today, it was announced, or at least on the day of recording, uh, he was sent down to Belleville um, after staying with the Sens since the beginning of, uh, or since making the team of the training camp. So, um, personal thoughts on this? I think it's probably the right move at the, at, uh, at the moment. Any any other thoughts on this, Trevor? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't mind um, seeing him being, being sent down. I think he's been good enough to be an NHLer, but he hasn't been that great. And I think he has a lot more potential, especially offensively. Um, you know, we, re- we really never saw that explosiveness back there. And hopefully he can, you know, continue to improve his game down in Belleville. And, um, you know, eventually I think he was going to be replaced by Will Annan anyway. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Belleville definitely needs help down there uh, on their defense. So, I yeah, I don't think there's it, this is too much of an issue. Yeah, I agree. He he was pretty average, I think, in his time in the NHL. Like he wasn't mm-hmm. wowing anybody. And for someone of, for for someone like Branstrom, who's touted to be this player who has such a high offensive ceiling, like I even if it wasn't producing as good as results, I just wasn't seeing enough of that. I wasn't really seeing him being the flashy um, transitional defenseman who can really make things happen on the power play that that I've, I've been really expecting and hoping from him. And maybe it's because they can't really give him the ice time yet. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's just something that I was probably a bit, dis- I've been a bit disappointed in so far. So, uh, hopefully he can go back into, uh, into Belleville, uh, rekindle some of that offensive flair that he has, because I mean, this is, <laughs> he'll be tied to Mark Stone for as long as he's in a sense uniform, <laughs> but, uh, he, he's, uh, adjusting to the pro level in the NHL. So I, I guess, uh, hopefully he can, uh, just get some of that back in the AHL. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it too, um, I don't obviously consider Will Annan a prospect anymore, but no. if you think about it, he's um, three years older than Brandstrom. So it's, you know, and, and last year was his first, well, it wasn't even a full season, but, um, you know, for, first season that he started in the NHL. So, yeah, you're right. In terms of development, he has lots of time, and I wouldn't totally worry about it right now. Yeah. All right. So let's jump into this decade in review. I mean, a lot has happened this decade, so it's gonna it's it's gonna be a lot if we just go in chronological order. So I think we're gonna kind of 
piece it together in different little tidbits. Uh, we posted some questions on our uh, Twitter account this past week too. You can follow us there at CP Pointcast, and uh, we'll be featuring some of the responses from there. But the first thing we want to do is look at our team of the decade. And I've seen a few posts already uh, like this just on the internet. Uh, I know the, the Athletic ran a feature similar to this, but uh, I think what we'll do is we'll kind of just go through our team of the decade. So we'll have four forward lines, a couple extras, uh, three defensive pairs, two defensemen, and then we'll kind of just go through it line by Let's do it line by line. Does that sound good? Yeah, yeah. Line by line is good. All right. So I'll start with my first line, and I have Mike Hoffman, Kyle Turris, and Mark Stone. Um, Mark Stone, I think, is kind of the obvious top right winger. He's been a cornerstone of the team for the second half of this decade. Uh, Turris, um, playoff beast, and uh, regular season, he, he really held down that first line spot for, for a long time, especially in some of their most important years. And then to, uh, I just couldn't help but put the HST line together, essentially, because <laughs> those guys were so dynamite <laughs> together, so I had Hoffman on the left wing, too. So, I don't know, what was your first line? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think you can really argue with Hoffman and Stone on the wings. They were pretty clearly the, the two best wingers. Um, I did have Spezza ahead of Turris. Um, I guess Turris, I've, I didn't actually look at the numbers, but I'm assuming Turris had a bit more games than Spezza. Um, but I put Spezza there just because I think his uh, his ceiling during those seasons was a bit higher than Turris. And I guess, like you said, he did have those playoff moments when you know he had a couple OT winners. So I can definitely see the case for making Turris um, first on there as well. But um, you know, Spezza was also the captain for a season, so that's why I put him on the first line. That's fair. Uh, I just just want to point out actually, that I'm using uh, this isn't really my op- opinion per se. I mean, I, I actually did some math and did some formulas um, for those familiar with uh, Don Blushishin's work. Uh, he had a post about this, so I used four different factors. I used uh, total game score. Uh, game score per game, uh, peak game score, which is for players with at least three seasons, and uh, playoff game score. So I kind of used all those factors in uh, averaging this lineup together. But moving on to the second line, uh, I have Milan McCulloch on the left wing. It's been a while since I heard that name. Uh, Jason Spezza on center, just like, just like you mentioned. And then I put Bobby Ryan on the right wing, um, who's been here for longer than it, 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 it feels he's been here for a while it's, it's like since 2012 right 2013 2013 yeah. and that that's it, it doesn't feel like it's been that long it's a long time but it's been it's been that long <laughs> but uh i mean he, he may not have ever lived up to the hype that we expected but i mean those are some pretty lofty expectations and i mean he's been a pretty solid player i mean he, he stayed in the sun's top six for uh, uh a, a large number of those uh uh, six and a half seasons so um yeah yeah, yeah uh, no i i similarly have Mahalik on the left uh on the second line i don't think there was really a, much of a case for anyone else um i actually have duchene on the second line i know he wasn't hmm. here very long he didn't even have an really? entire full season in ottawa duchene. but yeah i just just in terms of how how much of an impact player he was even though his time in ottawa was short i mean he was I believe I want to say he was over a point per game player. I know he was in the half season he was uh, that he spent last year. Let's see, he had okay, so not quite. He had 107 points in 118 games, but last year he had 58 in 50. So just his his ceiling. Similarly um, to my reasoning with Spets on the first line, just just the ceiling was a bit higher than Terra. So I have Duchesne on the second line. 
And then I actually have Alfredson on on the second line as well on the right side. Um, just, you know, just because he's Alfie, uh, he was the captain for the first few years of this decade. And I felt it felt weird to not have him in the top six. Yeah, I, I, that's totally fair. I have Alfredson my, on my third line, but I mean, maybe I'm skipping ahead too much, but I actually didn't even have Duchesne in my lineup at all. Uh, and, and interesting <laughs> and i guess that's just because uh, a lot of it comes down to like how little he played with ottawa in, in total yeah. um whereas i have on oh, my third one my third line center is jean gabriel pajot who has i mean he's had countless amazing moments on the teams so the hatch against montreal four goal came against the rangers um he's really been in that third line center spot for a long time now and it, it's it's pretty rare that you'll have someone in the bottom six so consistently on the Sens. True, or yeah. on any team in the, on, in the NHL, and Pajot's been there for a while. So, uh, and my left winger is Zach Smith, um, who I guess for similar or similar reasons, he's been around here for a while. He had some, he had a couple of decent seasons too. Shooting percent, shooting percentage aside, he was actually kind of decent defensively. So, uh, and then Alfredson on my right wing for uh, uh, same reasons you mentioned. Just I had Ryan one line higher. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see the case for for Smith and Pajot as well, just because of their longevity. Um, I have on my third line, MacArthur. Um, you know, he, he definitely had some some pretty solid seasons. He was, honestly, you could probably make the case that he's the best free agent signing that they've had, which is kind of sad. Um, and then finally, I have Turris as the third line center and also Bobby Ryan on the right side. And that's that was a line that was used a lot in 13-14. Yeah. So, and yeah. that, I didn't really mean to do it like that. It just sort of uh, turned out like that, but... Um, yeah. Yeah. And for my fourth line, I have, uh, Clark MacArthur on the left wing. Same reasons you mentioned. Um, Mika Zibanejad is my centerman. Uh, I mean, looking through these four centermen, even without Duchesne, I mean, it's a pretty solid representation, Mm -hmm. I think. I mean, Zibanejad was, um, aside from Brady Kachuk, the highest pick they had all decade. And, uh, I mean, even though he never really reached his peak until after he left Ottawa, I mean, he had, he definitely had some solid seasons in, uh, in the sense, on the sense, and on my right wing, I have Nick Foligno, who played left wing, but uh, I put him on the right wing anyways. He just, I, I don't, I don't know. He, he was traded at during the first rebuild. So but, yeah, he had two seasons in, um, this decade. Yeah, yeah, but even in even in that time, he seemed like a solid contributor. So yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, I have. I also have Zabanjad on my fourth line. Um, I have him on the right wing just because I have Pajot at center. You know, he's Pajot is more defensive. Um, I also have Ryan Dezingle on the left side. And, yeah, I think it's interesting with Zibanejad. He he definitely got a lot better since he left has left Ottawa. But I think it's important to mention, too, that he was getting better every single season. Like, his point totals were increasing every year pretty steadily. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do think that he would have been a similar player maybe not exactly the same that he that he is with the rangers but i think he would have been you know a 60 plus point player he had 74 points last year so um yeah that is pretty damn solid center depth for for uh, both of our teams yeah totally and i, I we, we we both drew in a couple extras there i have to as one of my two forward extras and then i have eric contra as my other four extra forward <laughs> <laughs> who oh, i goodness. mean hear me out i mean he he was <laughs> uh, 
he had he had a couple solid seasons in the Senators. He was solid defensively. I liked him. Very underrated defensively. Yeah, he was definitely a very underrated player. Uh, <laughs> so of course, by game score, he he comes out pretty well. Sure, we'll go with that. I my my extras were Zach Smith and Chris Neal. Um, yeah, I guess we haven't mentioned Neal at all um, so far, but you know he actually had some seasons where he wasn't half bad on the fourth line so and he was he was there for a while um should we go on to defense yeah sure do you want to start this one yeah so first pairing i have pretty easy for me best left-hand defenseman thomas shabbat best right-hand defenseman eric carlson for me i have best left-hand left shot defenseman is sergey gonchar and best right shot is carlson and gonchar carlson crucial pair for the sense shabbat just hasn't played as much at this point um would you change that um if you weren't going with like the model i don't know actually i mean shabbat maybe does have the better peak of the two but uh uh i think gonchar also was decently like i mean he was a solid player like he wasn't a scrub he by was, any means yeah. uh, when he was with the sense too so and, and was part of a couple uh um good playoff runs or not playoff runs but a good couple playoff series so yeah yeah, yeah. So I have him on my second pairing on the left side, and so okay, the bit of a con- bit of uh, controversy on the second pairing for me because I, I'm going to put Dion Phaneuf on the right side just because there aren't many right shot options at all, and I'll explain my reasoning when we when we finish up here. But yeah, so I have Gonchar and Phaneuf. Uh, second pairing is Mathot Cece. And so, uh, yeah, Mark Mathot, I mean, also partnered with Carlson. He was here for a while. And uh, I put Cody Cece there. (laughs) A lot of it comes down to longevity. Um, I mean, he was such a crucial part of this decade. I mean, when Sens fans are going to think back to this decade, I mean, (laughs) if we're not talking about the star players, I mean, Cody Cece is probably going to be one of the first players that comes to mind, just on uh, (laughs) maybe not for good reasons. But uh, he he was uh, a crucial part of this decade, we'll say. Yeah, so I my third pairing is Mathot. I, I think he definitely deserves a spot there. Um, and then, man, right side is just really thin. So I put Patrick Weirkoch. Um, I know he definitely, like, ever, ever since he left Ottawa, his career hasn't been very good. I don't even know if he's still playing, actually. But I will defend him till my death that his time in Ottawa was definitely solid. Like, all of the results back that up. Um, I think he was a pretty solid player on the second pairing. And yeah, I think he was pretty underrated. And I have CC as an extra. And, and, and I could see why people would have him on the set, second pairing like yourself. And, you know, definitely if we're talking about what we'll remember from this decade, of course, CC will be included in that. But for, you know, if we're trying to make the best lineup, I just, I don't want to... Um, give credit to a guy just for being in Ottawa, you know, like just because he played over 400 games here, yeah. I don't think he deserves a spot if those if those games that he played were really subpar. So I don't really think he deserves a spot there. I think maybe if uh, Demello was here for one more season, I would probably put him there instead. Um, but you know, he just hasn't played a ton of games, and yeah, there's really not many options on the right side. Yeah, that's totally fair. And my third pairing is Shabbat. And, and Weird Kosh as well, I have him there. And then Dion Phaneuf is my extra player. And then we, um, I think we have the same goalies. Oh, yeah. I don't think you can really have anyone else, right? Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, Craig Anderson, the starter. Andrew Hammond, the backup. 
I mean, both had such incredible moments with the team. Yeah, Hammond, Hammond maybe was a lot more was a lot more short lived actually, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be hard to forget the Hamburger run. So yeah, and we'll get into that later. That was just, I mean, we can't forget that. So <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um. So those are our lineups. I think those are you know pretty similar. I think there was only like a couple that um, were in or out of the lineup, and some some changes from line to line, but pretty similar overall. Um, so let's get into the underrated starting lineup of this decade. Um, I guess we could have made an entire lineup, but that would have been a lot more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll just do three forwards, two D, and a goalie. Um, so my underrated starting lineup, I have Clark MacArthur on the left, Mika Zibanejad at center, and Mark Stone on the right. Uh, and then on D, the handedness doesn't exactly match up, but I have uh, Chris Weidman and Dylan DeMello. And then in net, I have Robin Leonard. All right, and my lineup is pretty different. I have uh, my forwards are Shane Prince, Eric Condra, and Mark Stone. Uh, defensemen are Christian Lennon and Dylan DeMello. And then my goalie is Robin Leonard. I, I originally said Ben Bishop on Twitter, but looking back at Leonard, I mean, I changed that. Especially when we talk about the Calder Cup run that he had. Um, I think he really is deserving of that of that spot. And uh, mm-hmm. I guess just going through my lineup, I guess, starting with Shane Prince, I mean, <laughs> local got, he played with the 67s, came to Ottawa. He just never really seemed to be getting a shot. I mean, he, he, he was never played with skilled players and stuck on the fourth line and seemed to just keep showcasing his skill set as, as having this, uh, like, maybe not super dominant offensive force, but he could definitely keep his his own in the top nine. And uh, Eric Condra, um I mean, I mentioned him earlier, but yeah, super underrated numbers um, with the Sens. And then Mark Stone, I mean, he was never under underrated by the Sens fan base, but league-wide, I mean, it really was wild to see how dominant Mark Stone could be, how, how, how much better he can make anybody that he was playing with, and how much he could just absolutely mm-hmm. tear apart the opposition, both offensively and defensively, and just... Such a fun player to watch. Um, I never really got the league-wide recognition he deserved. I still think he should have multiple Selkie trophies at this point. Yeah, I agree. And uh, defensive pairings. I put Christian Willen in there. I think I was the only one. We, we put we put this question out on Twitter, um, and there's one more response I'll, I'll get to in a little bit. But, um, yeah, Christian Willen, I think that even though he's injured right now, I think he's, uh, and even though he hasn't really played much with the Sens, I still think that he is the Sens' second best defenseman i mean he has such a um versatile offensive skill set that uh, doesn't doesn't quite necessarily uh come close to shabbat but i mean it's still one that can hold its own on the power play um he, could, he had a great uh collegiate career and even though he's a bit older right now i think he'll uh still be uh he, he still definitely has the ability to be a top four defenseman and dylan Demello, i'll uh uh, I'll let you take that one. Do you want to talk about your lineup for a bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, I definitely agree with Willanin. He would probably be my third pick. Um, I, d- I do think some people are appreciative of him and, and realize that he's most likely their second best D. Um, and yeah, definitely DeMello as well. I'm seeing a lot of people, um, you know, sort of really, really quick to be willing to move on from him just because he's a UFA this summer. And honestly, I don't, I don't really know why he, he'll be 27 in the spring. He's 26 right now. Um, and he was very solid playing with, 
Thomas Shabbat last season, and he's elevated Mark Borowiecki's game this season as well. He grades well in pretty much everything. Um, you know, he, he's definitely not a big point producer. He only has three points so far, and that's why I think a lot of people won't really recognize him. And But at the same time, that's why he won't cost very much. So um, I think you can play him anywhere in the lineup. I, re- I really like him as, you know, preferably on the second or third pairing, but as we saw last year, he could be on, on the first pairing as well. So, um, yeah, and then, and then like, Weidman, um, similar. He's, he's similar to, to a guy like Weirkoch, who, you know, it's been, what, just over a year since he's left Ottawa and hasn't been pretty. He hasn't even been in the NHL very much. Um, but his time in Ottawa for the few seasons that he played, he was very solid. He was, you know on the third pairing and didn't get get the toughest assignments but i think he was one of the most successful defensemen on um yeah one of the most successful third pairing players out there so um yeah i don't think he quite got the love he deserved ahl defenseman of the year and what year was that was that uh 2015 i think yeah yeah i think so 15 16 or maybe maybe the year before 15 yeah 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 um and yeah and i think uh I think with Prince, like, I'm not too... I remember when that trade happened, I was pretty upset when they got him for the third. Um, but, you know, like, I don't know. He he didn't really do much when he was in New York, and he spent the past few seasons in Europe. So I, I'm not... That's why I didn't put him in the lineup, just because his career didn't really work out anyway. But I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, and there's there's uh, one response from our Twitter account that I want to shout out. This one's from Tate Fraser on Twitter, um, and his lineup was Victor Stahlberg, Mika Zibanejad, and Chris DiDomenico with a defense pairing of Frederick Clayson and Chris Wybin and Robin, Robin Leonard in that. And I don't know, I think there's some interesting names here that I think are worth worth <laughs> shouting out, it's particularly my boy, Chris, Mr. Worldwide, DiDomenico. Um, I don't know, what is he even up to right now? he's probably let's in check some, it out he's probably in some other foreign country uh enjoying life doing he was he quite solid best. though in the brief time he was here yeah he's 100 percent. and uh, it, it's it's boggles my mind that they signed him out of switzerland <laughs> for, 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 for for presumably reasons that guy boucher had control over or mark crawford or or, or both and then was caught up to the nhl and played very well in his 10 time points there. in 24 games which is, uh, I mean, it's, it's not like out of this world, but I mean, it's, it's certainly good enough to be in the bottom six. And, and mm-hmm. his, his underlying numbers, at least from what I, I remember, were pretty decent too. Yep. And uh, so he's, um, sorry, he yeah. spent the past two seasons with the Langnau Tigers in Switzerland. Yeah. In, uh, yeah, <laughs> back in Switzerland. So mm-hmm. I don't know, hoping for the best for, uh, for Dito. Um, another interesting pick there is Frederick Clayson, who at the time I was pretty. Um, when Clayson was in Ottawa, I was definitely um, shouting his praises a lot. I mean, it's it's no secret that his that Eric Carlson's best results were when he was on a pairing with Frederick Clayson. But at the same time, I kind of look back at some of his uh, underlying numbers from the past, and and whenever he was not with Carlson, he was also pretty horrible defensively. And maybe it was maybe it was partly his partners, but uh, I just wasn't. It just doesn't really seem like that may have been as much the case. And I mean, he's such a great character too, and I I gotta love uh, y- you gotta love Freddie, but uh. yeah, yeah, that's definitely another case where um, 
I just love him as a person too. He he seemed like such a fun guy. Um, and yeah, he he was probably still underrated, I'd say. Um, but obviously more suited for the for the third pairing. Um, but yeah, some interesting picks there. Stahlberg, I don't know. He 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 was fine when he was here, but I don't know if I would say totally um, underrated. Yeah, he he played his role perfectly in that run. Yeah. Um, shall we get on to plays of the decade? There's lots of them. All right. Yeah, it, it, we've we've been pretty blessed this decade with some pretty <laughs> pretty amazing like top notch. Uh, highlight reel plays from the sense it's not often i go through scrolling through the highlight reels it's something i, I definitely used to do uh, a lot more in, in like my high school years like, i'd be uh, <laughs> scrolling through youtube looking at the plays of the year and would uh give a little cheer when i don't know what when uh alish hemsky's goal would come on or something like that but uh i don't know let's we asked this question on twitter too we got some submissions uh we'll, we'll shut you out as we go through them um but so do you want to start us off, Trevor, with what, what with one of the best plays of the decade? Yeah. yeah so the most um, most common uh, common response was the Eric Carlson saucer pass to Mike Hoffman in the 2017 playoffs against Boston. Sen's gonna lead pass Hoffman alone. Scores. And that was just I don't really know how you can beat that. I mean, I remember watching that live and it's just funny the way that it was filmed because you you saw this pass you you assumed that Carlson was passing to somebody just the saucer pass in the air and then all of a sudden you see Hoffman in the screen you're like oh yeah. what he's on a breakaway and then finishes it off with the the Datsuk move and or sorry uh, the Lettinen move and it, that was just insane I just remember going crazy when that happened and yeah I don't know how you can beat that yeah I, I mean one of the most iconic plays of the decade in the NHL, not even just on the Sens, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, the only thing that would have beaten that was if it was, like, in overtime or something. Oh, yeah. And with, with the stakes as high in the playoffs, I mean. Yeah. Chef's kiss. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so the, another great play. Uh, Jason Spezza had a few uh, amazing plays. I mean, we, we all remember his... his uh, I mean, he's best known for his play against Montreal, but that was uh, in the last decade, but... Uh, he had that goal against Winnipeg. Uh, shout out to Sen Central for pointing this one out. Spezza pulls up. Lab runs into Kyle Turris. Spezza dangles in front. Score! Where, uh, I, I, where he starts off with a behind-the-back pass. Then he goes around the blue line. Does a dangle around another Jets player. Totally makes him look silly. And then shoots in front of, of Turris' skate to finish it off. I mean, that was another... Uh, just absolutely beautiful goal, mm-hmm. um, and then you also had another one against Vancouver. Um, I, w- we'll like I was there for that game. <laughs> oh, you, oh, you were there, sweet. Yeah. But uh, uh, shout out to Audio Escapist uh, for shouting that one out. But we'll, we'll put a bunch of links to all of these in uh, in the Silver Seven post. Uh, we'll, you'll see them there. But another just fantastic end-to-end rush. I mean, Spezzo's skill set really can't be under underappreciated from this decade. Yeah, I mean he he had some highlight real goals i mean pretty much every year he had at least one so um those are pretty amazing uh another one was you know obviously pretty recently the thomas shabbat dangle versus toronto um shout out to mike barber for um for reminding us of that one yeah that was an incredible one especially because uh you know it's always fun beating toronto when ottawa's terrible <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, there's also some amazing assists that we can't forget about. Um, there was Kyle Terrace's 
um, Dangle. It was during the Hamburger run, I think, uh, where he went through the legs and passed to MacArthur. I mean, there's we could go through so many more of them. Uh, I mean, there was the Alex Hemsky's goal. Uh, shout out to Sense Division for pointing that one out uh, against uh, Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, there is Moana McCulloch's uh, goal against Washington with another amazing Carlson stretch pass. I mean, <laughs> if I had a dime for every Carlson stretch pass, I mean, he was he did that so crisply. I mean, that's a iconic play from the, just in general from the decade. Um, mm-hmm. Another another recent one. Uh, I'm, I'm just listing them off right now. I mean, there, there's so many to go through. There was yeah, Matt yeah. Shane's uh, batten goal against Philadelphia from uh, last season, I believe. Shout out to uh, at Jack Ottawa for pointing that one out. But yeah, I mean, so many amazing goals. I mean, you, you can really make a a solid highlight reel from this decade. Yeah, I think a really important one to highlight too uh, that Kevin Lee pointed out was Turris's save. Uh, against the Rangers in, I think it was the Pajot, um, for when he scored four times, um, because they, you know, Rangers were incredibly close to scoring, uh, and Turris just saved it on the line, so that completely changed the series. Oh, for sure. And in terms of hits, I mean, I'm I'm generally one for uh, Queen Hockey, but I can't forget about Chris Neal's hit on Johnny Boychuk, right? I mean, sends Bruins rivalry. Sending Johnny Boychuk flying <laughs> uh, on ho- on home ice, and then taking down Sedino Chara later in the game. I mean, yeah. absolutely, hundred uh, percent, an amazing moment from Chris Neal. Um, well, on the same along the same lines, the uh, the famous tweet from the Senators slash Craig Medaglia um, <laughs> with uh, Dion Phaneuf. I forget it was against the Habs. I forget who he hit, um, but the caption of just. But God, and uh, there was that famous interaction with the Habs fan where, where I think it was, I think it was a girl, and she's something like a, uh, you think this is funny? And then <laughs> Craig just replies, "Yes, it's hilarious," and that was just <laughs> yeah. one of the most, one of the funniest Twitter interactions I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, that one's fresh in my mind. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're we're just reminiscing about so many things right now. I mean, <laughs> as as. As as much of a roller coaster this decade has been, I mean, the players have really given us some fantastic moments to gush to uh, gush over like this. So, oh yeah. Um, I mean, the the last one. I mean, this may not be like the most flashy play, but Mark Stone during the Hamburger run against Pittsburgh. Takes the drop. insane insane moment just i mean it wasn't necessarily the uh you know like the nicest goal or anything but that's i would probably put that up there like that's definitely a top five goal in franchise history no it's it's definitely up there i mean like unless you're going back i mean there there's a lot of other great goals in franchise history but yeah that one just in terms of how how which ones people have remembered over the years? Yeah, I, with the play call, absolutely yeah. brilliant. I mean, yeah, I, I won't be forgetting about that one for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, shall we get into the awards then for the decade? All right. Yeah, do you want to start us off? Yeah, so um, I'll just say the, the ones that we have listed, we have 
Hart, Vezina, Consmyth, Selkie, Norris, Lady Bing, Calder, Jack Adams, and King Clancy. So I think most people have some pretty similar answers. So yeah. um, let's go through the obvious ones first. I mean, Hart, pretty, Eric Carlson, I don't think there's any MVP. other answer. Yeah. Um, Vezina, obviously Craig Henderson. Yeah, for best goalie. Smythe, um, Carlson. I guess some other people might be willing to say Anderson. What do you say? Oh uh, yeah, I put Eric Carlson as well. I mean, the way he can he can carry he, the way he could carry this team through some playoff runs was incredible. But um, yeah, I, I saw some people mention Pajot and Craig Anderson in the replies, and uh, we, we also posted we also posted this on Twitter. Uh, and I mean, it's hard to disagree with either of them too. I mean, Pajot has the two most incredible indi- like individual game performances that we've seen in the playoffs, and Craig Anderson's also backstopped this team to uh, a handful of pretty amazing games. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, Eric Carlson, I still think, takes it here. Yeah. And then um, Selkie, easy answer for me. Mark Stone, one oh, of the yeah. best defensive forwards in the league. Like oh, you're saying. Time. Yeah. Like, like you're saying, he he's probably overdue for a Selkie already. Um, Norris, Carlson, he's <laughs> one, two, probably deserved three or four. Yeah. Um, a, a tougher one is Lady Bing. And. I I had a difficult time coming up with one. I said either Mark Stone or Eric Condra, but um not too confident in, in either of those picks to be honest. Yeah, I put Matt Duchesne. I mean the the award goes to players every year who A score points and B get very few penalty minutes. So for Matt Duchesne, he scored 107 points and only got 20 penalty minutes in 118 games. I think that's a a pretty uh mm. a, a decent guess as as long yeah. as it's uh I mean, going based off of what the awards uh, been typically given to. Uh, I saw Crow Turris got a few votes too, and uh, um, I mean, in terms of sportsmanship, I mean, he he's uh, one of the more classy players in the league for sure. Um, so yeah, uh, next one was for the uh, Calder Trophy um, for best rookie season. I think that one unanimous, unanimous, unanimously goes to uh, Mark Stone for his uh, um, for his um, rookie season, which I think was yeah. Aaron Ekblad that year. Right? Mm, no, it wasn't a good. I think it was Goodrow. Oh yeah, you're right. It was Johnny Goodrow. Yeah. But uh, but I Mark think Stone, Stone was second. Mark Stone came a close second, put up a good fight. Um, would would have liked to see him get that, but as in terms of the sends only, yeah, definitely Mark Stone. Yeah. Um. Next one, Jack Adams. I had Paul McLean. Um. You know, hopefully DJ Smith ends up being better than McLean. Um. But yeah, some pretty bad coaches this decade i mean i guess last decade too they had some bad ones as well um but yeah, yeah. what say you um i mean i'd say paul McQueen as well just off the basis that he actually won the jack adams award this decade with the sense yeah. but uh you could also make a good case for Guy Boucher. um i mean hashtag the system right yeah. i mean it, it, it's uh, <laughs> uh you can uh debate whether that was actually uh um whether he actually helped the team with that run in the playoffs or kind of just, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about. I'll say, but I mean, McLean did make the playoffs back to back seasons and Boucher only made it once. That's true. But, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, you're right. The Suns really have not had the greatest coaches this decade. It's been definitely, uh, I'm, a, a bit of a rotation. Just but. think about this. The fact that I'm pretty sure the man, who have they, Wait, has has Jacques Martin been the head coach anywhere since Ottawa? Um, but I'm pretty sure he was the last Sens coach um, 
that after being fired in Ottawa was hired as a head coach afterward, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, that's true. Every Sens coach that has been fired has never gotten a gig afterwards because they were just the entire league knew they weren't any good and that's just a massive indictment yeah i i mean yeah and it uh it's uh yeah again hopefully dj smith can live up to uh being a bit of a better coach but yeah we'll we'll see it's uh, it's up in the air still and last award is the king clancy which is for leadership and i put daniel alfredson i think you put daniel alfredson as well yeah Um, don't think there's much uh much case for anyone else we did get quite a few uh responses on this one but yeah alfredson is the the team's heart and soul the team's captain for uh even though he wasn't here for the entire decade um you could make a case for carlson since he was captain for longer but uh yeah alfie through and through for me Mm -hmm. now i want to get into some interesting transactions from this past decade so uh, i wanted to go over some of our most favorite transactions, whether that be trades, uh, free agent signings, and are also some regrettable transactions as well. Um, do you want to start off with maybe a couple of your favorite ones? Sure. Um, my favorite one, I think, in terms of having the biggest long-term impact on the Suns was trading Brian Elliott for Craig Anderson. And that really shifted things for the Suns for like the entire decade. Craig Anderson is... Um, he's had his ups and downs, but when he's been, when he's, when he's had a solid season, he's really, really carried this team. And, uh, I mean, <laughs> there's, there's, there's so much, uh, so, so much of a team success is predicated on the goalie. And so when Anderson's been on, I mean, he, he's been on. So yeah, uh, that one's really, uh, shaped the team for a while. Uh, I guess also this one's kind of half serious, but trading Cody Casey to the Toronto Maple Leafs really was a bit of a, <laughs> it, it, it was definitely quite a, quite the relief to um, just get CC off the Sens and, 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 and clear his name from the team. And even though the trade, I, I don't think it is, end up being a, a net positive for the Sens, I think it was pretty neutral. But uh, yeah, I think it was just kind of a, a, a sigh of relief. And the last one I want to look at is trading Kyle Turris for David Rudenblatt, uh, or trading David Rudenblatt to acquire Kyle Turris. I mean, Turris ended up being a first-line center for when he was in when he when he was in Ottawa. So, um, and of course, David Rudenblatt did not end up being that. So, um, yeah, I think that's also a pretty notable trade that happened earlier in the decade. Yeah, and I, I think I would definitely agree with the Anderson and Turris ones. Um, you know, that, that was a, a perfect example, the, the tourist trade, of taking advantage of a player who had, you know, tons of skill, but was being mismanaged by his team, and they were able to get him for a decent package. You know, at the time, it seemed like a massive overpay, but they took a risk, and it worked out fantastically. And then, same with the Anderson trade, it was some out-of-the-box thinking, and, you know swapping two um two struggling goalies and that obviously works out incredibly well i had that one on my list as well um a couple others i listed were trading Derek brassard to pittsburgh um ended up getting philip gustafson and eventually jacob bernard docker and johnny tyconic in the draft and although I, i believe they have a third as well that they haven't used in that um so obviously gustafson hasn't turned out just yet um but if they if even one of bernard docker or tyconic turns out that's a fantastic trade because 
Broussard was just terrible in Pittsburgh. He's been okay with the Islanders this season, but I mean, moving forward, he wasn't going to be part of the Sens, so that was a great trade by Doran. And then also I'd say signing Clark MacArthur. That was a really solid signing, and it's it's really sad that he wasn't able to you know, play more seasons, more healthy seasons in Ottawa because he was he was such a perfect second line winger. And um, yeah, that, that was one of their best signings. Yeah. And do you want to get into the worst transactions or the most yeah. regrettable ones? Yeah. So Broussard is involved in on both sides of this in one of my favorite ones. And then one of the most regrettable ones uh, is a bandage ad in a second for Broussard in a seventh. That was just... It was definitely, I think Dorian did that with money. You know, he, he was oh, definitely 100%. thinking about money with this trade. But at the same time, I still do think, like, I'm not going to give him a pass for that. I, I might give him a pass for giving, giving up the second um, due to the signing bonus. But even if it was Zibanejad for Broussard straight up, I wouldn't have liked it because of Zibanejad's age. And, I mean, even if he was on the Senators now, he could be incredibly useful for their rebuild. Um, so that one still stings. And then also I'll say uh, Stone to Vegas because he seems like a player that is going to be very good for a very long time just because he's he's good at everything. And even if Brandstrom ends up becoming a solid defenseman, it, it won't be – he won't be as good as, um, as Stone ever, I think. Yeah, and – um, one, I want to talk about the Zibanejad trade just for a second because I think that actually ended up being a, a pretty big landmark trade for the Senators, and even for the NHL in general. But just for the Senators, I think that really marked a turning point where it was really where we really saw the cost cutting on the roster really starting to come to fruition at that point. Yeah, and and, and the team like deliberately giving up assets in order to save money. And I mean, the the, the sense of all of have had it in. It, They've had an internal cap hit for the entire decade, but at this point, it really never touched the roster in too much. Like it, it always limited it. It always limited them from like signing players in free agency or whatnot. But it really never saw them cutting assets or making the team worse to uh, save money. And I that really ties into so many so many moves um, in the future, and it ties into the Stone trade. It ties into the Carlson trade too, which I think. Even though it does look better now, I mean, the way they handled that is absolutely regrettable. And in terms of other things that they handled extremely regrettably, um, letting Daniel Alfredson walk to Detroit Red Wings and being uh, a bit uh, um, and, and holding back money in, in that sense, I think it would have been... That was another landmark case. Yeah, I think so too. And I mean, if, if they just... As as great as it was to see Daniel Alfredson come back and sign that one-day contract with Ottawa, I think it would have been like even nicer if he just played out his last season with the Sens, um, went out on a good note with them. or I mean, he, he went out on a good note, but went out, going on, out on an even better note, um, yeah, that, that really... And, it, and just with how much it stung to the fan base at the time as well, and the reactionary move of, of trading and signing for Bobby Ryan. Um, yeah, it, it really was kind of... It, definitely a regrettable move, I think. Um, and the last one, I think, I mentioned, uh, similar to you, you mentioned Zibanejad, or, or Broussard twice. I can mention David Rudenblad for a second time. <laughs> How when they acquired him, uh, they gave up a first-round draft pick, which ended up becoming Vladimir Tarasenko to St. Louis. Which, this is an extremely hindsight evaluation. 
I mean, at the time, the trade definitely seemed fair. I mean, Rudblad was the best prospect outside the NHL. So, but uh, looking back, I mean, it, it just didn't turn out well at all. So it's yeah. very regrettable. Uh, they I mean, also maybe not the worst trade, but uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm pretty certain they wouldn't have taken Tarasenko at that point just because they weren't yeah, taking any Russians. That, that's also very fair. But yeah, yeah it it's just. Well, I was looking through the trades earlier today, the trade history, and yeah, that one always is going to put a little knife twist in, in uh, after that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so there there were some pretty, uh, pretty momentous trades that have not worked out. Um, but, you know, there there's some good ones, like, like we were saying as well, the Anderson one, the Tourist one, um, Brassard 2.0. So... Um, Let's get into some memorable moments from this past decade. Um, just, you know, similarly, there's a lot of really good things. There was a lot of, there was just a lot of things happening, you know, whether it yeah. was the Hamburglar <laughs> yeah. run or the 2017 Cinderella run. Like there was just a lot of interesting storylines this past decade. So um, do you want to go through some, uh, a few in the beginning? Sure. I mean, there was uh, um, Pajot's hat trick against Montreal. I mean, that's the stuff of absolute legends. And I mean, for for the local kid to do that, um, it's, it's momentous occasions. Um, the Binghamton Senators. I mean, you can't forget about them. I mean, they're in Belleville now, but their Calder Cup win on the backs of Robin Leonard and and uh, so many others um, was uh, definitely. I, I mean, this is before I really was was following the the Sense AHL team at this point, but uh, I'm sure for the people of Binghamton and, and people who were Sense fans around that time, um, really made them excited about what was coming to the future. Which, uh, I mean, how that turned out is, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I can remember uh, listening to the game like on my computer uh, radio thing, like like on AHL TV or whatever. Um, that last game and you know I was pretty stoked to see them win even though it just didn't really matter but um, yeah it was it was pretty exciting to to follow that team and and they came back from a couple series I believe Um, yeah so there was that there was also just just how fun it was to be on Sen's Twitter in the spring of 2017 that was just absolutely incredible and um you know, I've I've always appreciated appreciated the Sense Twitter community, um, even when times have been tough over the past couple of years. But just it was so fun every single day, especially especially like when they ended up winning. The banter online was just so much fun, and um, yeah, I, I can remember yeah. you know where I was during every single game because um, you know sometimes I had to be out. Uh, or during the the third round in the playoffs, I was actually in Europe, and I'll never forget watching Game Seven because um, the game started at like one or two. I think it was two a.m. Maybe um, actually no, it must have been one because the game was it took forever. So um, it ended around five forty-five in the morning, and I had to get up an hour later, and it was just yeah, absolute hell going to bed after that. Um, but yeah, like I think. Sense Twitter has kept me sane, um, or not not necessarily sane, but it's it's because um, I, I think you could uh, quibble with that, but maybe it's kept me entertained. Let's say so. I'm appreciative of that. 
Yeah, I mean, there's winning is fun, and I mean, especially with the 2017 run. I mean, the Andrew Hamburg, the Andrew Hammond, the hamburger run. That's what got me. I mean, personally, that's what got me into the, into uh, sense blogging and into sense Twitter, and into just getting into the community in the first place. And uh, yeah, I mean, times have definitely changed since then. I mean, there, there's a lot that has happened uh, post 2017. I mean, I I don't even want to go through it all because it's just rehashing so me- so much uh, so many demons at this point. But uh, I mean, it really can only be summarized by Melnick out and his comments at the Centennial Classic. Um, just uh, and, every- and everything that happened after that, all the cost cutting, all the lawsuits, all of these scandals, um, all the, the, the Uber video, everything small that just happened yeah. in, in in that tw- Lebreton in, in in 2018 was just like an absolutely like cursed year. For, for sense and sense fans so um it's unfortunately we're still in that uh um maybe not downhill mode right now i don't know but uh, there's, there's always just it, it, it it's it's it's, it's going to be a long way up from here and we're just really waiting for melnick to sell at this point um hopefully that comes soon unfortunately it didn't happen this decade um i actually had a prediction at uh uh <laughs> at the beginning of the year that had to heat sell by the end of the year but and that's oh, i remember happened. That hasn't happened yet, and uh, I don't know. We got one month left. Maybe hoping for a Christmas miracle, but uh, oh, did you say? Oh, I thought you meant by the end of the season. Um, maybe I'm getting it mixed up too. Uh, I don't know. Well, either way, just just say it was the end of the season. Buy buy you some more time. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like there was there was so many, especially in that 2017 playoff run. Um, just so many big OT goals. I'm pretty sure they had six overtime wins. They had the Fnuf one yeah. against Boston. Turris against the Rangers, Pajot, obviously, MacArthur, I think that was the mm. most uplifting one in game six oh, yeah. against the Bruins, um, Bobby Ryan against the Penguins, just all these moments and all these comebacks too, like, I'll never forget that, um, and yeah, like like 2015 too, the Hamburglar run, just that, it, it never seemed, or, sorry, sorry, it, um, even when they were down like two nothing or three one in the third period, it just seemed like they were going to come back because they probably had seven or eight comeback wins during that run. And yeah, Hammond was amazing, and that was just—I probably actually had more fun during that run than I did during the playoffs, just because they were never losing. And yeah, they're, you know, they're they, peskier, peskier than ever. Yeah, they're peskier than ever, exactly. And so that was in- incredibly fun. And you know, how can anybody forget? Curtis Lazar picking up the the burger from the ice. Um, I think if he was still a senator, that would be a bigger moment in people's minds. I think people actually probably forget that. But um, yeah, yeah, that that run was a lot of fun too. Yeah, and there, I mean, the decade also had its fair share of, of very uh, uh, sad moments as well. I mean, we we have to talk about uh, Brian Murray and his battle with cancer that unfortunately came to uh, to an end uh, not too long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as Nicole Anderson, uh, Craig Anderson's wife, having to battle cancer as well, and uh, thankfully, thankfully she's doing um, uh, so much better right now. She she's uh, cancer free. Um, that that game where Anderson posted a shutout in uh, um, Edmonton, in, in, yeah, in Edmonton, the first I think it was the fir- the first game after he came back from leave mm-hmm. was absolutely touching, and uh, I mean I, I shed some tears that night too. Yeah. So yeah, same. Um, but. Uh, yeah, ending this on a high note, I think it's uh, it's I I I can't I can't thank you enough 
Trevor, thank you. Thank the community. Thank you, listeners. Thank you for everyone who's read my work on Silver Seven Cents this past uh, past few years. And uh, I mean, it's 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 the reason that we're still around doing this, and it's uh, it's it's what's made for me at least this decade such a, a highlight of um, for for Sens in general, even throughout even throughout the uh, the tough moments. It's uh, it's great to have um, so many people being so uh, supportive and being able to talk. Uh, and just being able to talk about this, uh, talk about the sense about uh, just being able to kind of unwind a bit. And I mean, this is this is a hobby for all of us, and sports are meant to be entertaining. So uh, it's a uh, yeah, it, it's a uh, thank you. Yeah, I will echo those sentiments as well. Um, first of all, you know, Colin, thank you for for joining the show. It's been what a bit a little bit over a year, I think. Um, and you you know you've really helped the show out a lot. Just being able to. It's a lot easier to pump out more episodes. Um, and so, yeah, that's been great. And then also thank you to the listeners as well. Um, you know, I, I started blogging about the Sens in 2014, fall of 2014. So it's uh, been a little over five years now. And, yeah, it's been a blast. And just being able to be a part of this community online, it's it's super cool, especially because of the fact that I'm out on the West Coast, you know, feel a bit isolated sometimes. And I think it would be a lot harder if I wasn't, you know, really entrenched in this community. So, um, yeah, thanks to everybody for listening over the years, for, for reading the blogs and for, you know, some, some solid feedback and, um, positive words. Um, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting decade and hopefully, hopefully the next one is a lot better. Hopefully there's maybe a new rink, maybe a new owner. Um, but, uh, I think things are, are looking up right now. I like where things are heading and it, it seems like they are on, um, they are slightly on the rise right now. So I actually do have some optimism moving forward. Yeah. And if we're ending this episode on a bit of a sentimental note, I, th- I think, I think it's worth letting the listeners know that I, the reason I actually got into uh sense blogging in the first place was because of Trevor and reading his work on oh, sense shot <laughs> was, it was actually the first, the first blogs that I came across was reading, uh, um, Trevor. And I think it was, uh, Jeff Leaper's work yeah. there. And, uh, yeah, and look where things are now. So I think it's pretty special that we're uh, we're doing this podcast, even though we're just kind of two white guys talking about hockey. I think it's <laughs> it's it's, uh, it's pretty awesome that we have this uh, fantastic community surrounding us. So thank Man. you for listening, and yeah. uh, here's to a, a better 2020. Oh, we'll still have more episodes later this year. As I wrap it up, just a reminder that you can find the Cost Per Pointcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And if you like the podcast, you can rate and review it on those platforms too. Uh, you can find my writing on silver7cents.com and find me on Twitter at CudmoreCohen. And for Trevor, you can find him on Twitter at ShackTS. Uh, we also have a podcast Twitter account where uh, you may have heard us shout out some listeners in this past episode uh, where they responded to our questions at CP Pointcast on Twitter. So make sure to follow us there. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back with another episode very soon. Um, yeah, that's all for today, folks. Adios. Thank you.